0: grab a seat, let's to worship uh, for us uh, this week uh, we're continuing our series called How to Grieve, where we're thinking about the process of grief, looking at the book of Lamentations. If you've never heard a series of Lamentations, then you probably, you're normal, because there haven't been a whole lot of series or thoughts about this this book, I know, um, in, in my lifetime. But it's a book that I think has a lot to, to say to us, a lot that's very uh, important for us to think about. It's a book that's five chapters long, and basically you could think of it a bit like a play, uh, and there's these three characters, and they're just basically asking the question, why? And it doesn't get resolved. There's not some moment in the end when God comes in and says, well, this is actually why that happened. It's just basically people are going through this, this difficult time and they're saying, why is this like this? And the characters are observing that this uh, catastrophic, catastrophic event has happened in, in Jerusalem, the exile has occurred, and so this city that once was like a place where celebrations would happen, it's now basically in ruin. And so these people collectively are saying, like, why did this happen? God, are you there? And there's moments when they say, Well, you know, I can understand I was I was sinful and there's some brokenness that happened that I was involved with, but also like God, weren't you supposed to be a loving God? And we talked last week about how it's very odd that they have these really hard questions for God, get in the midst of it, there's what song that we get? Anybody? Remember from last week? Steadfast love of the Lord? Yeah, someone said it, I think. Yeah, steadfast love of the Lord, like in in the midst of this, it's the the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's kind of surprising to find that in there. But as we continue to think about this, we'll have one more sermon next week. I just want to remind you, we've talked about the grief process first, the importance of naming pain. Being willing to raise your hand and say, you know, is there any pain that's like mine? And being willing to say it. Sometimes it's so important that we actually, like, give words to our grief and, and say what it is that that we're feeling. I was at uh, the Pepperdine Bible Lectures, which, if you don't know, is something that is, like, for the Church of Christ denomination. And it was interesting in uh, a conversation that I had with, with some people. I heard a, a staff that kind of helped me that um, in— based on, like, church growth studies and how things are in, like, the state of the Church of Christ as a whole, um, currently there are 1.3 million members in Churches of Christ in 2020, around around that number. And based on the lack of young people in Churches of Christ, by 2050 that number is expected to be 250,000. And 1.3 is, like, down from where it used to be. And as we have, in our church, kind of always been blessed with young people, it's maybe not as apparent to us, but as you look around and think about like the larger movement as, as as a whole and maybe think about some people that you know who were in a church of Christ but no longer are, it was just helpful for me as a minister to think, wow, it's, it's normal for it to be a little bit of a struggle, I guess. Like it's, it's hard. It's hard work that, that I'm doing that we're trying to do together. And it's helpful for me to think about just being really thankful for the young people who are part of our church and being really thankful that they're here and participating because as, as a whole, like, what we're trying to do is, is, is hard. And so for me, it was a moment of, like, wow, that is something that's a struggle, and it kind of put a name to some of the things that I feel as, as a minister kind of struggling. It's important for us at times to name the things that we're experiencing and what it is that we're going through. And maybe there's something that has happened in, in your family that you need to talk about, and you need to just bring it up, and you don't necessarily want to talk about it because it'd be so awkward to talk about but wouldn't it be better than, like, another five years of awkwardness? Wouldn't it be better if you raised your hand and said, hey, you know, can we, can we talk about this? And maybe you need to, like, talk with a therapist before you talk to that person. But what would it look like for you to maybe name some pain and say, we, we need to bring this out into the open because I don't want this to continue to color this relationship anymore. And last week we talked about how important it is for us to ask, like, real, honest questions of God. God isn't afraid of our questions. And books like Lamentations, I think, are so beautiful because if you were just reading it, if you read through it without any context or understanding of maybe why it's there, you'd say, why is this book in the Bible? It doesn't make any sense. It's just someone just asking questions. That's one thing that I love about Scripture, is it asks real questions. It causes us to think like, about what is actually going on in our lives. It's not just like a simple formula. So I hope that as you think about grief in your life, that Maybe it hasn't happened to you yet. Maybe you're currently going through something. You'd be willing to name pain that you would say, you know, this is a struggle for me that you'd be willing then to ask questions. And then what I would hope is that you'd be part of a community that has a level of, of commitment to each other and you continue to walk with each other through pain. Brene Brown is a psychologist and someone who I think has a lot to say to our time and context. There's a Netflix show that she has. I'd read any of her books. She's really fantastic. She says this so simply, people are hard to hate close up. Move in. People are a lot harder to be angry at if you actually talk to them. And I know, like, you're at church on Sunday mornings. You're a good person, so you don't actually hate anybody. Nobody likes the word hate. Uh, we have a book that uh, our daughter Nora loves to read right now called Dragons Love Tacos. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a New York Times bestseller. It's actually really good. Um, but in, in that book, the dragons, like, they hate the spicy salsa. And there's one page that's like, they hate this kind and hate that kind. And so we, whenever we're reading it, we're like, we have to say they don't like spicy salsa because Carter picks up on that and we're not supposed to use that word hate. So nobody likes to use the word hate. It's kind of surprising it's in Dragons Love Tacos. So again, like you might not actually hate anybody. But I think one of the things that we struggle with collectively, perhaps even, even more than hate, though I think our culture is a little bit angry, is just apathy. It's easy for us to kind of have apathy about our neighbors, about even people that, that we go to church with, it's easy for us to not really make any sort of effort to actually be in community with anyone. Because community always requires effort, and it requires cost. It takes being willing to like have a conversation, to wait, to be around Somebody, it's just easier to just stand at a distance. And that's actually what we see in the book of Lamentations. As we've talked about, Lamentations opens with this narrator who's basically just looking at this horrific scene and saying, okay, this city is now in exile. There used to be joy here, and now there's hopelessness. And the narrator says this about the city uh, Lamentations chapter 1, verse 9. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was no one to comfort her. So this is the narrator talking about this city. And it's very odd. Like I said, it's kind of like a play. You could almost read it that way. The the city is personified as a woman. And so basically this narrator is saying that this group of people, they were sinful her filthiness, her promiscuity, it clung to her skirts. And they can maybe say, like, why God did you do this? But there was a lot of things that they were responsible for that they needed to work on, and they never did. And basically, like, she did not consider her future. And that's the person who is not helpful at all, who says the three worst words, I told you so. Right? Basically, like, this narrator stands at a distance and is like, I could have told you all that was going to happen. You know, you were so sinful in this area. You didn't really give God the proper respect and, and do. And so, like, you just look like a promiscuous person, basically, to me because of this. So your filthiness clings to your skirts. This is how the narrator describes it in Lamentations chapter 1. Then, as we talked about last week, the narrator as Basically, as the narrator is exposed to the the horrors of what is happening here, eventually the narrator breaks and basically just starts to cry and says, my eyes are overwhelmed with weeping. I can't just stand on the side anymore. It's devastating for me as I see what's happening here. And in Lamentations 2, the narrator says this, what can I say for you? With what can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem, to what can I liken you that I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Think about the difference that we've seen from chapter 1 to chapter 2. Basically, I, I told you so. You should have considered your future. You should have done things a little bit better. You shouldn't have sinned. Your promiscuity, it's like worn on your body to you virgin daughter, Zion. Think of how this has changed. It's a lot easier to hate people from a distance than it is when you come a little bit closer. So this narrator, it seems, has entered into the story. In a book that I'm reading for, for this series about this very odd book of Lamentations, it men- mentions a, a popular movie that was a little bit before my time, Pretty Woman. And that movie, I've not seen it, uh, but I, it was in 1990, it made $463 million. Uh, so pretty popular movie back in the day, and it's likely you're somewhat familiar with it, that Richard Gere enters into a relationship with with a prostitute, and that's how it begins, and then slowly it becomes less and less of a business relationship. And at the end of the movie, he calls her princess. So it's moved from that he thought of her in this way to now being in relationship with her. Oftentimes, I think we wonder, can a new word be spoken about me? Can a fresh thing be said about me? As we see this narrator who enters into this story, that at the beginning, it's easy to just stay at a distance. But side by side, there are words of encouragement and hope. I think we wonder at times, am I defined or forever defiled by what I've done or what has happened or the things that I've been involved with? Perhaps you've failed. Perhaps your failure was pretty public and it didn't work all that well for you. Perhaps you've made a mess of some things. I believe that a fresh word can be spoken to you. Perhaps you're a victim of abuse and it's hard at times for you to believe that You can have a fresh word spoken to you, but I believe a fresh word can be and desperately needs to be spoken over you. Perhaps you struggle with addiction. A fresh word can be spoken to you. As we see what happens as this narrator first is observing and then starts to participate, we recognize how important it is for us as a community to gather around each other, to be with each other, To remind ourselves that fresh words can be spoken. The first sermon that I I ever preached uh, was on a, a great text in the life of Jesus where a synagogue leader comes to him and basically says, My daughter is sick and dying, can you please come help? And so Jesus starts to go through this crowd of people, and you can imagine him wading through the crowd. He's got all these people who are coming up to him. He's getting more and more popular for his healings. And in the midst of this journey, something that eventually he's going to do, he stops. And you can imagine him stopping and people kind of running into each other as they stop. And everyone's just in the same moment, just wondering what exactly is happening here. And Jesus says, someone touched me. I don't need that one yet, but it's close. Uh, He says, "Someone, someone touched me. My power has gone out from me. Someone has touched me. And, and basically the crowd's like, well, everybody's touching you. It's a crowd of people. That's what crowds do. Jesus, you ever been to a concert before? Right? And it was like is on top of each other. We're all like walking together. There's, asking that question is ridiculous. Who touched you? What are you talking about? And Jesus says, no, 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 but I need to know. Like, I know something has happened. Like, who touched me? And this woman who's been a victim of bleeding for 12 years and would have been called unclean because of this issue, and treated as a second-class citizen, she finally comes forward and says, it was me. And her healing has occurred, but what's beautiful is the words that Jesus says to her. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. You've been called unclean. You've been called filthy and dirty, but I'm going to stop everyone and everything to say daughter to you. Because that's almost more important than the healing itself, although the healing is very, very critical. But Jesus restores her in front of this community. And he says, you've been called a lot of things by a lot of people, but to me... You're my daughter. You have a new hope and a new perspective. A fresh word can be spoken. But oftentimes, it isn't enough for someone like me to get up and tell you that. It isn't enough for you to be participating in a church and maybe even sing the songs and show up. We need communities of people around us who will minister to us, who will continue to bless us, people who will understand that life is difficult at times, and we can remind ourselves that that God is still with us in the midst of all this. In the mid-1980s to the late-1980s in Eastern Europe, they weren't too keen on free speech and um, there was a group of underground artists that started doing art in this community, even though it was very dangerous. They would meet sometimes um, late at night and like, transform a city street or something and have an art mural up in the morning for people to walk by and see. But it was very dangerous for them to even be in communication, but they would often have these little displays and they would try to work together to try and say in, in certain ways that there is hope. And there was a specific artist among them who invited a group out to this field and forest kind of in the middle of nowhere. He said, bring your flashlights and come under the secret of darkness. And so they all went out there expecting about 1 a.m. that there was going to be this amazing art piece. And all they found was a pile of dirt. They watched and waited and nothing happened. And a while later, they asked him basically, where were you, bro? Like, what happened? And he said, I was under that dirt breathing through the straw, breathing through a straw. Perhaps in Lamentations, we see a picture of what it looks like for a community of people to be literally like covered in dirt, but still breathing. We as humans, we have moments in lives where where we are celebrating when we're happy, when things are going well for us, and that's awesome, and if you're in a season like that, that is fantastic. But there are moments when it feels like we're covered in dirt. May we remind each other to keep breathing. Andrew Sullivan, who's a theologian, says this, the point of God putting on flesh and blood is to be with us. To show us better how to be human, how to better embrace our lives by accepting the divine around us and inside of us. When we come together, when we live life together, we remind each other of the very presence of God. And sometimes that means when someone is struggling and in pain, just sitting with them. In the book of Job, it's actually going pretty well after Job has lost everything until his friends start to speak. They just sit with them for a while, and if they would have stayed just sitting with them, then they might not be made fun of forever because and then they start to speak and they really mess it all up. When we walk through life together, may we be willing to put arms around each other to very really show like the spirit and presence of God to each other. May we walk sometimes arm in arm saying nothing. Remembering that our presence in a certain moment with someone else is a gift. This is one of the things that I, I am really thankful about my job. I get to be in, in hospital rooms with people who are struggling and going through difficult seasons of life, and I wish that I could just be like Jesus and you know, heal them and everything would go away. But there's something really profound and significant about being in those spaces with people. Maybe we recognize the, the burden that we all have to be there for each other because this is our calling. I think of another story of Jesus when he goes to visit, um, or when he is called to go to Lazarus, his friend, who he receives news is dying. It's one of the weirder beginnings of a story. Um, here it is in John 11. Um, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, which is like the weirdest Jesus move ever. Because Jesus seems to be like the compassion guy and like always going to help people. And just imagine being the messengers that day who come up and say, hey, 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 Jesus, you know, let's, let's go. Let's go get on the road. Lazarus, like you've been so kind to all these other people. Like you surely will come and help out Lazarus, right? And Jesus is like, eh, you know, I'll get around to it. <laughs> it's very, very odd. Imagine being the messengers who then show back up and they're like, hey, where's Jesus? And they're like, uh, he didn't come. I, I don't know. We tried to get him to come, but he didn't come. And then finally, after these couple days, he does decide to to go. I think the reason for that, it's a very odd passage, is to prove that this is like a resurrection and not just a resuscitation because there was a thought that if someone was dead for three days, then they were like really, really dead. And so I think there's some reasons that Jesus did this, but it's very odd. If you ever had a moment in your life when things just haven't gone as you think God would want them to, the biblical characters in this story can relate. Imagine receiving this news like, wait, Jesus is just chilling? Wait, hold on. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And then Jesus ends up going, he goes and, and he participates and eventually he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead but uh, his sisters are like, wait, 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 where were you, man? Like, if, if you would have been here this would have been so much better. If you only would have been here, then my brother wouldn't have died. And then Jesus, in this moment, one of the most profound, the literal shortest English verse of Scripture, he weeps. As he's moved by the pain that everybody's experiencing, as he understands the grief that is in that place, he weeps. Think about what that means. In some ways, you would say, is that even a good thing? Like, you're God. Go ahead and just go do your thing. I think Jesus shows us that there's something powerful about sitting in something and not just solving it. That there are going to be things that we just can't solve. Some things that we just have to sit with and understand that, yeah, it's way easier to be apathetic or dislike someone from a distance, but if you come alongside them, it's amazing what can happen. Jesus pauses here to show us that productivity isn't the most important thing at times. And we can't just solve everything. And Jesus is actually going to solve it in just a moment. But he reminds us of the importance of sitting when he sees the pain that is in that place. He cries. Because all of us are going to grieve at times. Jim Como sent me a, a fantastic article about Rich Hill. Here's a picture of Rich Hill. He's a pitcher for the Dodgers, and uh, he wrote a very moving article about how he lost a newborn son a few years ago. And I would recommend reading it, but you need about thirty minutes to cry because it's really that that moving. Um, Phyllis maybe more. She's even more emotional than the average person. Um, so, uh, but. It will give you some time to, you're going to need to to cry a little bit. But towards the end of the article, I won't go too much into the sadness of it. He said, I'll never forget the one thing our hospice doctor said to me at Brooks's, his son's burial. She put her hand on my arm and looked me straight in the eye and was just like, Rich, be kind to yourself. And in so many ways, that simple sentiment, those four words made all the difference in the world to me. It was almost like she was giving me permission to look out for myself and do what I needed to do in order to go on with life. And there are going to be moments when we need these kinds of words. Rich Hill reminds us, when you're grieving, it's easy to blame yourself and beat yourself up and just sabotage your own well-being, but you absolutely have to try and remember to be kind to yourself. And we as a community here I think we have a a blessing, a responsibility, and an opportunity to tap people on the shoulder and say the same kind of thing. It doesn't have to be the same exact message, be kind to yourself. But we need people, we need people who are going to be willing to embrace us, to show us the the love of God, to recognize that as we grieve, as we walk through sometimes years of difficulty, I mean, sometimes with things that are never, ever going to be solved, Maybe recognize that we have a responsibility to share messages of care and hope. And I know that this series might not be for you right now. Perhaps you're in a season of celebration and you're just like on fire about God and that's awesome. But we need you as well. We need people who are willing to stop everything and have conversations with people who are here. That's one of the blessings of our church, is that we can be a home for people in LA. That we have the opportunity every single week to come together. And I hope if you're a member and an active part of our church, that you recognize that when you come here, part of your responsibility is to greet some of the new people are here and say hi to some of those people. And that's awesome and be as welcoming as possible to them. But I hope that you make it your goal every single week to have at least one real conversation with someone. Something that goes a little bit deeper than, how was your week? What's going on with you? I hope that we have the ability to really just get into that a little bit. That's one of the blessings of of being part of our church, and you are desperately needed to minister here. We need you sometimes to be the one who will grab someone on the shoulder and say, be kind to yourself. Rich Hill says this in his article. Uh, He says, you just kind of have to try to do the best you can in whatever way allows you to make it to the next day. There's no right way to grieve. Everyone grieves differently, and nobody does it well. No one is good at grieving. And even if you're, like, familiar with the steps to grief, it's still a difficult process. Because I believe we're meant to one day be united with God forever, so it's unnatural for us to go through this process. There is no white right way to go through this. This is why we need each other. So as we think about how to grieve and think about what that looks like in our lives, I hope that you're really willing to be somebody who takes this stuff seriously. As I think about just what's, what's happened in, in the last month in, in our church body, I think of, of Jeannie who is mourning um, her, her dad's passing. I think of Adrine who we were worried about having a stroke a few weeks ago. And we all spend time in prayer, and, and we're always remembering these things and, and praying and thinking about these people. And it's not just because prayer is, is going to fix everything and it's going like, to make the person have the issue go away, but it's because we care about these people. It's because it's like they're, they're part of, of our heart and our soul. So we get the opportunity then week after week to show up with each other, to ask, you know, how are you doing? Are you okay with that? And we walk as a community together because there's just no right way to grieve. So as we think about closing this series next week, I want you to maybe think of something in your life or that's on your heart that you need to properly grieve. And Maybe it's nothing for you, and if that's the case, that's awesome. And we need you here. But If there's something perhaps that you're going through or that you haven't properly named, may you take the time to think about it, to name it, to ask God those questions, and then to seek others in community. Because grief is a partner with us for sometimes long seasons of life. And there's some situations that the pain never really goes away. So we bring those questions, those doubts, those things to God, and we bring those things to others as well. Because in community, we find people who will come alongside us, who will have empathy with us, who will continue to walk with us. Let's pray together. God, again, this is a a heavy topic and one that is, is difficult for us to think about. But may we have eyes to see and ears to hear those around us in our community. May we be willing to have that conversation to not just settle for surface-level answers. May we be a community that truly seeks to show each other the love that you have for us. Father, when we sit alongside each other, we don't judge people's sins. We give them new names. May we recognize the beauty that comes in the community that we have. May we all seek to share our burdens because it is holy space when we grieve together and when we don't necessarily have all the answers. Father, as, as we sing now, I know that some people are going through some difficult things and they might not feel like singing. May we sing for them and remind them of who you are. In your son Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and worship together.